You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. All right, if you could stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Uh, We do this, I say this every week, I just feel like it's important to state this, that uh, the Word of God is authoritative, we believe that. We believe that when you read the, page, the words on the pages of Holy Scripture that you hear the same voice that spoke the galaxies into existence and that I have nothing better to say than, than what's inside this book. Anything outside this book, I, I, that's why we have you sit when I'm preaching. So we are now past the Beatitudes and we are now looking at Matthew chapter 5 beginning with verse 13. This is the word of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You may be seated. So uh, our world, within our world, and, and I'm sure you feel this, there's this tension. There's this tension between the, uh, you know, things that are worth being optimistic about, and then there's this tension with things being worth being pessimistic about. Like I said at the beginning of the sermon series, that I uh, was really pessimistic about just just whether or not there's any recovery for, for our country and just everything that we've seen happen politically. I, I tend to be pessimistic to that, uh, regarding that. Uh, it almost feels like, in light of the optimism and pessimism in our world, that if you're, if you're just looking for a reason to live, it, it just feels like we're suffering as a culture from, from spiritual and emotional whiplash, you know, being tugged from back and forth. Well, do I, can I be hopeful about this? Can I, you know, I'm pessimistic about that. I, I don't have a whole lot of hope concerning what's happening in the world. You know, our world, and not just America, but just our world in general, the, the effort of governments, the effort of, of organizations is really just to, to find some way that, that people could experience happiness and joy, Right? Like every, every, every century, every time period, every, every point in human history, there's been this striving for that. One of my favorite quotes uh, from Blaise Pascal, a, a theologian and a philosopher, and I believe a, math, a mathematician, said, all men seek happiness, even those who hang themselves. Right? So we were striving for happiness. And there, there are these two ages in and. You know, my generation kind of experienced the first, and now we're kind of in the, the next. And those two ages, those two, those two periods of time, and I won't go into all the details. Actually, I have more details in my manuscript. But those two periods of time are modernity and post-modernity. Have you ever heard of that? Just curious. Who's heard of modernity? And pro- okay. So read the manuscript. I, I kind of unpacked that a little bit. But modernity, uh, that time frame uh, spanned from the 14th century all the way through uh, some have said the 60s, some said in the 1960s, some said uh, it, it lasted all the way through the late 80s. The, the, you know, you had, in that time period, you had uh, the Renaissance, uh, the Enlightenment, 
uh, industrialization of, of, you know, of the world. Uh, what marked that, that time frame is you can measure truth through science, you know, rationa- your rationale, your brain. Uh, the, uh, the, me- the, the form of media, the invention of this form of media that revolutionized the world that can be marked at the, be- you know, the beginning of, of modernity was the invention of a certain printing press. Anybody want to take a stab at it? Yeah. The printing press, right? The Gutenberg printing press. It changed the world. And then uh, there are some who will say, well, what marked post-modernity as another form of media that revolutionized the world. Anybody? Yeah, the internet, exactly. The World Wide Web totally transformed the world. And, and the, the desire with the printing press and the desire of the internet, the desire throughout modernity and the desire within post-modernity, which I believe we find ourselves in still today, is, this, the, the, is happiness and human flourishing. The post-modernity basically says, you know, well, you can't just measure truth cognitively, you've got to be able to experience it. And with all the changes and with all, with all the, the advancements in human civilization, you know, the, in, in medicine and technology and just the list goes on, we're, we're still not happy. We're still lost. In fact, the, 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 when we look at our world, our world looks worse off today than ever with all the stuff. Right? I mean, less happy. In fact, I found a statistic that was done, or a study that was done in, uh, sometime in 2020, and it said the rate of death by suicide in America has risen by 30% in 2020. And uh, 62% of Americans are currently dissatisfied with life, with all the stuff that we have, all the advancements. You know, the world is at our fingertips, right? Like the world is much smaller than it's ever been. You can find out anything. Just take out your phone and Google it, right? You, you, you can find the answer to, any, to just about anything. And yet we're still not happier as a result. Uh, another study, a survey that was done by the Survey Center of American Life so of, the, of those surveyed, 53% of Americans indicated that they were very to somewhat pessimistic about life, about the future. And 47% remained optimistic. It's almost split down the middle. That's why I say it feels like we're suffering, our culture is suffering from emotional and spiritual whiplash, from the, the, the things that we should be pessimistic about or are pessimistic about and the things that we should be optimistic about or are optimistic about. And here's the thing about, about the Sermon on the Mount and who Jesus is. Jesus is above all that. Like he speaks into that and he stands above it. That, that uh, you know, the pessimist looks at what's real and says, well, I give up. <laughs> and then the optimist looks at what's possible or what's ideal and says, well, there's still worth, it's still worth hoping in, 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 in something better. And, and Jesus, Jesus blows all that up. Jesus is real and he's the ideal wrapped up in one, in, in one person. 100% God, 100% man, and live the life we can never live. Tim Keller said this of biblical Christianity. He said, biblical Christianity looks to Jesus as both the ideal and the real. And this is what he said. He said, 
I don't think the words will be on the screen. He said, biblical Christianity is neither shallow optimism or dark pessimism, and here's the reason why. Jesus Christ isn't an ideal or a real. He is the ideal who has become real. He has blasted a hole between the ideal and the real. He has blasted a hole through the wall that's kept ideal and the real apart. If we want to see what human flourishing can look like, if we want to know what human flourishing can be, we've got to look to Jesus. And that's not just you know, some churchy answer. That's the reality. And what human history teaches us is that our world is not getting better. In fact, it seems like it's decaying spiritually. And, and this is what brings us to this, to this passage. That's what I love about this. The, the Beatitudes are, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. This is a Christian. This is what he or she looks like. We spent, what, 10 weeks working through the Beatitudes. And then this is the... It, these verses in verses 13 through 16 is the application. So what? So, so why, did, why was I saved? Why did God redeem me? Why did he rescue me? Why did he do these things uh, with me? Uh, well, here is the so what in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. You know, we're the salt of the earth. I, Jesus made it easy on me. My, I have two points. <laughs> you're the salt of the earth, and you're the light of the world. Those are my two points. Right? And, and so he, he said, I saved you, I redeemed you for the purpose of sending you back into the world. Back into the, the decay, back into the darkness, I'm sending you back in there as salt and light. And here's, here's the interesting thing about, about these verses. In verse 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. He's not saying that this is the ideal. He is saying this is your reality. This is your identity. It, the grammar is in the indicative, and, and it's a statement of fact. This is what's great about this. I want from being spiritually dead, I want from running away from God like a thief runs from a cop, and he redeemed me, and now he wants to use me. And he wants to use you in the same way. You are the salt of the earth. And just to wrap our minds around this, because I don't think we have a full appreciation of salt, really, uh, like, like they did in the first, in first century Palestine. Salt was super important. Like, it, it was, they would uh, uh, pay Roman soldiers with salt. They would say, okay, so they didn't do it all the time, but sometimes they would pay the Roman soldiers with salt. Why? Because there were certain properties with, about salt in first century Palestine that were super important. I guess it, some of the things that it did is it, it served as an it purified things in that it kept it it kept meat and other things from decaying, so it served as a preservative. It um it added flavor, you know. We still do do that today. Add salt to you know your burger or whatever, like it adds flavor. <laughs> I had a friend who uh, and this is not a slam on anybody that smokes. I'm just. He's a, he's a food scientist, and, and we went to a restaurant once, and he said, and he's, he just knows food. He knows everything, everything there is to know about food. And uh, he, we were eating this meal, and he said, you want to know why this is so salty? He said, because the cook smokes. His, his, taste, his taste, his sense of taste has been deadened. So you can actually tell, like, when something's really salty, it's most likely because the cook smokes. 
and, uh, and so his, his taste buds have been deadened. Uh, salt in first century Palestine and today uh, adds flavor. Sometimes you can add a little too much salt to something, which could ruin the flavor. Also, salt was used for medicinal purposes. It served as an anti-inflammatory. It had antibacterial pro- properties. It was used to help with respiratory conditions, conditions such as asthma, bronchitis, cold, and flu. You know, you can go to the, super, to the supermarket, you can go to the grocery store and buy a certain spray. Anybody know what that spray is called? Saline spray. You know, uh, be, because it's got medicinal purposes. Uh, salt also um, makes the person who's using it what? Thirsty. That's why when you go to a restaurant, you'll find chips sometimes at certain restaurants. Why do, you find, why do they put chips on the table? Because they want you to buy their drinks. Or if you go to like, if you go to like a, a brewery or a bar or whatever, sometimes you get peanuts. Or if you go to the airport, you might get peanuts or, or you might get pretzels. Why? Because they want you to be thirsty, so you buy their product. Thir- salt creates a thirst. And, and in other words, the five functions of salt were uh, purity, preservation, flavor, healing, and to create thirst. Jesus said that's who we are in the world. He, he sent us into the world to be salt for the purpose of purity, preservation, for medicinal purposes, for the healing of the nations, for all kinds of purposes. St. Origen, who lived in between A.D. 185 and 253, so in his lifetime they depended upon salt, said of this passage, he said, salt preserves meats from decaying into stench and worms. It makes them edible for a longer period. They would not last through time and be found useful without salt. So also Christ's disciples, standing in the way of the stench that comes from the sins of idolatry and fornication, support and hold together this whole earthly realm. He said that's, you know, so we're the salt of the earth. Um, We bring into the world the the hope of the gospel. And by our presence in the world, I mean, think about it. It's kind of like, think about salt. What if you put salt in your garden, on the, in the soil of your garden, what will happen? It will affect your plant, the growth of your plants. Will it not, right? It's, you don't want to put salt in your soil. But with us being in the world, you know what our presence does, what the, the presence of the church does? It retards, it slows down evil. Did you know that? Like that's the, so Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. But not just that. Uh, we, we bring healing to the nations. Like our role in your, in, in, in the role that you have in your neighborhood, in your family, the place where you work, it should, be, it should bring healing to your community. Like, uh, like when people see your lives in such a way, when they see your life in such a way, it should affect them. Now some people will see your life and they'll be put off by it because of your relationship with Jesus, but others, it ought to open up doors for you to be able to speak into their lives. And for, for you, like everyone in this room, it's like where you find yourself in life, it's pretty natural for you to engage with people that don't know Jesus because you're surrounded by people who don't know Jesus. I'm not saying it's easy for you to do that, but like I have to work hard at doing that. Like God's call to be salt and light is, is, is like, he's not going to call you to be a pastor to do that. 
Like I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm a part of the body of Christ. We together are salt and light in our world. I have to work hard at finding ways where I can rub shoulders with people who don't know Jesus. And, and, and so I'm, I have to be intentional about that. But you don't. Like God's called you into your world. Like you're, wherever you find yourself, you are the person that God has called to be an ambassador of Jesus in that place. Did you know that? You, you went from being dead spiritually to being sent as God's ambassador to a world that so desperately needs good news, so desperately needs, needs life. Like Jesus said in, in Mark chapter 9, he says, have salt in yourselves. But what did he mean by that? Well, there's a passage in 1 Peter I want to sh show you. It says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, which will happen, like if, you are, if you're living for Jesus, if you are salt for, you know, in, the, in the world as a representative of Jesus, if you're a light in your world, well, there will be some people and governments that will not like that. So even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord is holy. How do you become saltier? <laughs> By setting in your hearts, you know, Christ as Lord, honoring him as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for you a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, what does he say? Do it with what? Gentleness. Do it with gentleness and what? Respect. Like, that's where I get the phrase, don't be a jerk for Jesus, right? I, I've encountered people like that. Have you? I have. Uh, I remember my dad just sharing a story. And, and this was pretty common. They would go, these uh, folks from his church would go door to door and, and tell people about Jesus. One family said, we don't want you on our property. So they walked off the property and stood right on the threshold of the property and continued to shout at them about Jesus. That's, that's not being respectful. That's turning people off to Jesus. And he goes on to say, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile you or revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Like being stalked in this world doesn't mean being, you know, antagonizing the world on purpose, like looking for ways to pick a fight with the world. Being salt in the world is, has, you know, you, 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 put, you kind of dispel evil or you put off evil or you retard the growth of evil. But at the same time, there's medicinal purposes in your life. Like I had a conversation this week with somebody who, whose friend died. And he, he knew that his friend was not a Christian. And he said, well, I'm really struggling with that. So how, how do you, is there anything you can share with me that will you know, help me work through that? And while we're having this conversation, it was in my martial arts class, while we're having this conversation, there, was a, there were two girls, and I, I don't know where they're at spiritually. The one, the one I don't think is a believer. The other one, I'm not sure where she's at. And they were listening. They were listening to this conversation we're having. And I was trying to talk to this person with tenderness and care. You know, um, to, be, to be salt, to, to really, to, it's, it's to love your world, to look for ways to speak into the lives of those around you. So uh, then Jesus says here in, in, in this verse, he said, how shall its saltiness be restored? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet if you lose your saltiness. So just so you know, like, we're not talking about the refined salt that's on your dinner table. It's the, the salt that's being described here, they would look like, like, crystal, like rock crystals or like rocks. It's, they would get this out of the dirt. They would get this out of the ground, usually by the, the Dead Sea, like in Jesus' area in, in Israel. Like they would get this out. And, and so uh, that type of salt was impure. It could lose its saltiness. The salt on your dinner table can't really lose its saltiness. It's been refined. But this salt could. And what would cause it to lose its saltiness? Well, water could wash out the, its saltiness. Other elements in the ground that it was surrounded by could possibly wash out its saltiness. And what's the purpose of a salt rock that's not salty? Nothing. So there's no purpose. The purpose, Jesus says, the only purpose is to throw it back on the ground. Let people walk on it. That's the best purpose for it. There's a warning that Jesus is, is, is pointing to here for us. Like, it's possible for you and for me to get to a place to where our distinctiveness as followers of Jesus is so watered down that the flavor of salt can barely be tasted by the world around us. Does that make sense? And so I don't think he's saying anything about losing your salvation. He's just saying, this is a, this is a danger. And, and the word that he uses for the word lost here in, in this passage, you know, about losing its saltiness, is the, the Greek word is this, and I only share this with you because I think you'll recognize uh, a word in it. The, the Greek word is maranio. What does that sound like? Come on. Sounds like moron. Right, the the, uh, the the Greek word actually is most frequently translated as foolish, and in this case, it's translated rightly so as lost. But what Jesus is saying is, it's it's dumb. Like, why would you do that? Why why would you want that to happen in your life when you uh, Christian are the result of everything like this described of us in the Beatitudes? Like, you're, this is who you were. You were dead, and, I, and now you know, Jesus rescued you and made you alive, and, and now he sends you back into the world that he rescued you out of. He sends you back into the world as salt. And to lose your saltiness is just dumb. Like, he, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Like, in him is the meaning of life. In him is, is where we find our identity. Why would you seek it in anything else? And so he's warning us here, be careful that, that that doesn't happen to you. But he goes on to say that we're also not just salt of the earth, but we're light of the world. We're the light of the world. I, I, I love this. It's, it's the same thing. It's, he's stating something that we are. As a result of him saving you and as a result of him saving me, we are, as followers of Jesus, light of the world. That, that's who we are. And then I was, th I was thinking, okay, so there's five purposes for salt in the middle, in far, you know, the uh, ancient East. But what are the purposes of light? What, do, what does light do? And I was just thinking about the Old Testament and, and the New Testament. And what do we learn about light as a metaphor? Well, what we learn is that light dispels evil. And, and that's very practical. Anybody have a porch light? Anybody have motion, sense, sense light, motion sensor lights? I have them all around the house. You know, when you walk around, the lights go on. Uh, some of you probably have a camera, right? Well, why do you do those things? 
because you're dispelling light on those who might have ill intentions concerning your property, right? So the light comes, and what do they do? They ought to just leave, right? So light dispels evil, but it also illuminates the truth. It adds knowledge. It's another metaphor for light. It brings revelation. It, it exposes things it, in, a, in a good way and in a bad way. And then it also fills one with hope. So as light, that's our purpose in the world too. You know, there's, a, there's a guy by the name of William Wilberforce who lived in the 1800s, and uh, I believe 1700s, 1800s, I forget the exact date. Anyway, he was, uh, he was mentored by a guy by the name of John Newton. And uh, John Newton is the guy who wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton also used to be, before he became a Christian, he was a slave trader. He owned boats and, and traded slaves. He was a wicked person before he became a Christian, came to faith in Christ, abhorred the slave trade, did everything he could to push against it, but he was a pastor. And William Wilberforce you know, was mentored by him, and, and Wilberforce felt a call into the ministry, or thought he felt a call into the ministry. So he asked uh, John Newton you know, about it, and John Newton said, don't enter into the pastoral ministry. Stay where you're at. And where, where was he at? He was in Parliament. And, and Newton said to him, you could do, a better, you could do more for the kingdom of God serving in Parliament as an ambassador of Jesus Christ than you ever could, you know, pastoring a church. And you know what Wilberforce did? He stayed in Parliament. And for I don't know how many years, I think it was like over 30 years, he pushed against the slave trade until finally they outlawed it. You know, that's what salt and light looks like. Um, that's why I said at the beginning, it's easy for you, like you know, Meadowbrook, it's easy for you to, 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 to be this because you're surrounded by people naturally who don't know Jesus, right? And so um, we are salt, we are light, and uh, our lives are, ought to light up the darkness around us, that our lives bear the truth, our lives bring knowledge to who God is for those around us. Our, our, our lives help people discover the hope of the gospel. And, and it's not just by them watching you. We've got to tell them about Jesus too. But just like yeah, the, the, the picture that I think of when it comes to our lives is that this change that's happened in your life, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is the same power that's transforming your life. Your transformed life validates the, the, if you're sharing the gospel, validates the, 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 the information that's coming out of your mouth about Jesus. That's what it ought to, right? So, so our lives and what we say go hand in hand. You cannot expect people to, to understand and hear the gospel if all you're doing is hoping that they just look at you. <laughs> they need to hear from you too. And so, uh, but, if, but here's the other thing. If, if your life doesn't jive with what you say about Jesus, you should just keep your mouth shut. Right? Like, because, I mean, because when people see our lives, our lives, if they validate what we're saying, it, 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 they'll listen to you more. That's part of the saltiness aspect of it. Is if our lives jive with what we're saying about Jesus, our lives are salty. People can taste the flavor of Jesus in our lives, and they can see the light of Jesus in our lives. Like Jesus said this in John chapter 8. He said, 
Let's read this together. Ready? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the crazy thing about this. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And now, in, in this passage in Matthew, Jesus is saying, we are the light of the world now. He's given that mantle to us to bear, that we are his light before a world that doesn't know him. There's a, a passage in Colossians, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Let's read this together, ready? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We went from darkness into light. And then in, in 1 Peter, let's read this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And now we bear his light. We represent him. Here, I know this, this sounds simple, but this is profound. You were saved by Jesus to shine for Jesus in the world around you. You were saved by Jesus to shine for Jesus. We, uh, in verse 16 of this passage that we're looking at, Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, live your life for Jesus, not with the hope that people look at you and say, oh, good job, you're, you're such a great person. You're so wonderful. <laughs> That's not the point. The point is, so that people see this resurrection power in your life. They can't put their finger on it. They can't wrap their minds around it. They just know a change has happened or is happening in your life or there's something profoundly different about you. And, and for some, they see that and they're, they're attracted to that. It develops a thirst in them for Jesus. It, it, it's, it's illuminating enough in this dark world that they find themselves in that they want what you have. Others will see that and say, I don't want anything to do with that. In fact, I want to bury that person or I want to put a, bu a, a bucket over that person so nobody can see this person's life, life. And so some will respond in that way. But we're the light of the world. Not, not our country, not any other country, not a, not, not a political group, not, not any other organization, but the church of Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And Jesus said, and it's a light that's on a hill for everyone to see. That's who we are. Um, somebody said this uh, of, of these verses, a righteous life and a bold witness is a powerful combination. Think about that. A righteous life and, a, 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 and boldness are a powerful combination of what God is doing you know, in the world and, and what he's able to do in the lives of others. You know, um, another way to say it is God saved you to use you. I shared a verse last week, and it was Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. It will be on the screen. But I stopped, I purposely stopped at verse 9 and didn't go on to verse 10. But verse 10 explains for us how it is, or why it is that we're saved, why it is that Jesus did this work in our lives. So let's read this together, ready? It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Like he's, he set us apart for good works. That's why we exist, for good works. Your life brings flavor in a world that's just bland. Like your life, if you're a Christian, was saved for the purpose of your life being rubbed into the world, kind of like salt, in a way that, 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 brings re, that has redemptive qualities. And the danger that Jesus warns us against here is, in these verses is, the, is that, um, that we could get to the place in our lives where we allow the water of the world, or whatever you want to call it, the elements of the world, to water down this, this distinctiveness that sets us apart in such a way that the people can't tell who we belong to. That's the warning. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, it says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is not, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. I had somebody say to me once that uh, this was not long after I became a Christian. This person said to me, "So Keith, you're so heavenly minded. You're not even. You're you're no earthly good anymore." Like that's what they said, and that really messed me up. Like, I'm like, I thought, well, I thought to myself, am I, because I've respected this person, am I saying too much about Jesus to the point where people don't want to hear about Jesus? Like, and then I came across that verse that I just read. And it dawned on me, we cannot be any earthly good unless we're heavenly minded. Like, I, you want to know the secret to becoming saltier? <laughs> you you want to know the, the secret to uh, becoming uh, uh, brighter in, your, in, in the way you illuminate Jesus? Here it is, ready? Spend more time with Jesus. The more time you spend in, in God's Word, the more time uh, you spend on just thinking through who Jesus is by, as you learn of Him through the Scriptures, as you learn of this God who loves you, the saltier you will become in your world. And the same is true in the church, too. Like Jesus purchased a church not to be, not to be separate, but to be, to, to, to be together. Like we're better together. Like we are designed for community, and God has wired us to, in such a way to where in the church we're, we ought to be speaking into one another's lives. And so that's another avenue of how we become saltier for Jesus or how our light can shine brighter. Like that, it's no secret. It's, the Bible's pretty clear about it. But that's how, that's how you become saltier. That's how you retain your saltiness. And that's how you shine for Jesus by the time that you spend in his word and, and, and allow other people to speak into your life. But as a Christian, you're, you, you were not saved. You were not redeemed so you can warm a seat on Sunday either. We were saved and we were redeemed to be in the world, to represent Jesus in the world. We do that better when we allow, when people are speaking, when God's people are, have, the, have the opportunity and the right to speak into our lives as we're learning of him, as our, our, as our eyes are, you know, focused on his word. Moses, and I'm drawing this to a close, and I'll have four, four challenges for you uh, to, to go home with. But Moses, when he interacted with God, when he, when he interacted with God on the mountain, it was just him and God. 
He came down from the mountain. You know what was, you know what was different about him? His face glowed. His face glowed. In fact, he put a veil around his face just not to wig out everybody that was waiting for him at the base of the, mount, at the mountain. And I, I was thinking about this in terms of being salt and light. The way that you maintain your distinctiveness as a Christian is to spend time in the presence of Jesus so that you glow for him. And the less time you spend with him and the less time you spend with his, with, uh, his people the less you will glow for him, the less distinct your saltiness will be as salt in the world. Um, there are, there's a passage I was thinking about, because like I said this in the first service, and some, like I, every once in a while I'll say something really strong, and actually I really do mean what I, what I said in the first service, and I mean what I'm about to say now, and that is, if you are not regularly engaged with um, the people of God, with the, with the people who, who Jesus redeemed, Christians, if you're not regularly engaged with a community that's speaking in your life, you will not be able to maintain your saltiness. You will lose your distinctiveness. And the same is true as if you're not you know, reading the scriptures and allowing the scriptures to saturate your heart. You will lose your distinctiveness. I'm not saying you'll lose your salvation. I'm just saying you'll lose your distinctiveness. The flavor will not be as distinct in the world around you. Uh, and you know, some might ask, well, well, show me a chapter and verse. Well, there's a, there's a passage in Hebrews, chapter 10, I was thinking about this, that speaks into this. It says this in verse 19, and the words are not on the screen, so if you're looking in your Bible or you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. This is what I'm going to read for you. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, and this is what he says in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. What is the confession of our hope? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The scriptures. Everything that we read in it. Read in the scriptures. For he who promised is faithful. And this is, it goes on to say, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's the part where we learn that we need each other. We need each other. And in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as, in the, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Like If we have the physical ability to gather together, we should. If we have the physical ability to gather together, then we should do that, and there is no replacement for that, even with all of our technology. Like the live, live stream is great, it's a great tool. If you can't be here, to, or, or our webpage is a great tool. If you can't be here to li, you know, listen to the sermon, read the sermon, or, or, or participate in the worship service during the live stream. But that's not a replacement for gathering together, together as the people of God. Um, and so that's where I get that from. And I just want to leave you with four, challenge, four challenges. And this is, this is how I'm going to end my, my message. Um, four steps I want to encourage you to take. Now, maybe you're already doing some of this, and maybe you're doing all of it, but, it, but here are my four challenges. 
One, if Meadowbrook is your church home, make your regular Sunday morning gathering a priority. Make it a priority. Like we, I know, we're on the front range and camping and hunting is so fun and all that stuff. And it's great. When I go on vacation with my family, I usually don't find a church to, to worship in. I mean, I, I'm just showing my cards here. I'm just being transparent. I, we, you know, when I'm on vacation, we'll, on a, if it's on a Sunday, I'll, we'll open up the scriptures together. I'll re- read the scriptures. We'll pray together, and then we'll continue our vacation. But we don't look out. We don't search for a church to go to. That's just for that's just for our family. But I need my family needs to be gathered regularly with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are at Meadowbrook. And so, if Meadowbrook is your church home, my encouragement to you: if it's not a priority to gather regularly on Sunday, I would just encourage you to hunt, camp whatever, but don't make that the priority over gathering. So that's one. Two, if you do not spend, regu- spend time regularly in your Bible, regular time in your Bible, here's a simple encouragement for you. This is a simple challenge. All of you can do this even if you're already reading the Bible. Pick one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Pick one of them and read a chapter out of one of those Gospels uh, a day. Just one chapter a day. And just pray, God, just show me who you are through, through your word. Just do that. I promise you, God will, bring, will, will show you things in your life and in the scriptures that, uh, the, that by the end of it, you will not regret the time that you spent in any one of those four gospels. So that would be my, my second challenge, especially if you're not regularly reading the Bible. Just do that. Just do that. And then uh, I would love to hear your story afterwards of how that affected you. And then Third, third challenge. If you uh, rarely interact with people who do not know Jesus, here's a start for you. Because I think we need to be intentional about that. Find somebody who does, that, you, that you're not sure. You're either not sure they're a Christian or you know that they're not a Christian. You don't need on the first day to tell them about Jesus. But look for a way to, to, to build a bridge into their life. You know, like, don't go to your neighbor, knock on the door, and say, hey, I want to tell you four ways why you need Jesus. Like, that's probably not going to work really well. But, you know, it's going to snow soon. It's hard to, I think, in, in like, a couple months, we're going to be probably dealing with snow. Shovel their driveway if you're able to. Bring in their trash can, you know, uh, you know to, to, from the curb if you find it over. Look for ways to, be, to engage your neighbors in a friendly, loving way. Use that as a starter. And then if you develop a friendship with that neighbor, invite them over for dinner or coffee or whatever. Build a relationship with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Be intentional about it. What you'll find is if you do that, you will love that person. You'll develop, I had, I, like in Colorado, I had a friend who didn't know Jesus. We had him over for dinner. We, he hung out with us. Every time we did a church event where we like, had a UFC party or whatever, He'd come over, and, um, and we hung out together. So that would be my third challenge. Fourth challenge, pray for an opportunity uh, to share the gospel with somebody. You, you, know, you don't need an evangelism class to share the gospel. You could just tell somebody about Jesus and how, he's changed, how he has affected your life. You don't need some crazy radical story about how Jesus changed your life either. You could have been a Christian all your life. Every single one of you have, has a story to share about how Jesus has changed you and is changing you. 
you know something about Jesus that you can share with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. So here's my encouragement to you. You don't need to find this person in the next day or two or next week or, 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 or weeks to come. Just pray that God will give you an opportunity to share your faith, share the gospel with somebody who does not know Jesus. Just start praying that. I promise you, at some point in your life, God's going to put somebody in your face that needs to hear the gospel. And, um, and you will discover it is one of the most rewarding and uh, one of the most rewarding experiences, one of the most meaningful experiences to have when you're able to sit with somebody who you care about and, and, and tell them about Jesus. And they might reject the gospel. But I guarantee you that, that if you're praying about that opportunity and, and, and you get an opportunity to talk to somebody, um, it will be meaningful to that person. So that's, those are my four challenges. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for what you're doing in and through Meadowbrook. And God, I just ask that you would, uh, God, that you would just embolden us, that you will encourage us to be the salt, to be the light that you have called us to be, that we are in this world. And uh, God, I pray for opportunities for each and every person in this room and those watching the live stream to, to have, to, to, to read their Bible, but also to engage, with those, engage life with those who don't know Jesus. God, I pray for opportunities amongst those here in this room to have in their world. And for anyone who doesn't yet know your son, Jesus, God, I just pray that they, that they would hear these words, that salvation is found in no one else but the name of Jesus, that all who confess Jesus as Lord and believe that you, O oh God, raised him from the grave will be saved. God, I just pray that they would hear that. And for the rest of us, God, I thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.